Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back at another partial homework edition of the College Football Survivor Show. Listen, we, 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 rules. Ah, oh, the rules. Ugh. Shahan, when you were a young man in your parents' house, I'm sure you were a good boy. There were rules, though, right? You had to live by rules. And then you got out in the world and you said, I'm going to have no rules in my life. I'm going to live by the seat of my pants. I'm going to do whatever I want all the time. And I do not care how my actions affect anybody else around me. It's the American way. It is ultimate freedom at the cost of everybody else. That's how we li- That's how we do it on this podcast, right? We don't want no stinking rules. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know about all that. Rules are very important. Following <laughs> rules are, are, are critical. Okay, okay. So then we're gonna we are gonna make this about rules. I I didn't want to make this a rules podcast. I was like, ah, nobody likes rules. And then you're like, actually, could we discuss many many rules? Rules are critical to uh, a functional society, actually. Ah. And if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna forecast what. A new society will look like going forward. I guess we need some rules. No, no. I want ultimate <laughs> the ultimate right to do whatever I want at every moment based on nothing other than my God-given right to do whatever I want all the time. So that's how we're – well, that's good. We have two different approaches to college, to college football then. Uh, I don't actually think that. But I don't like to talk – I like to maybe live by rules. I don't want to talk about the rules. I just want to know what they are and then just <laughs> let them exist out there in the world. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, yes. So we don't want to do a rules podcast. There's a lot. When the rules talk starts in college football, I tune out and say, get back to me when it's football time. So I get that it's important. I don't want this podcast to be that. I don't want it to feel like homework. So what we're going to try to do here is with the NIL discussion that is taking place, it's hot and heavy. Is the NCAA going to legislate it in some ways? Because if you're the NCAA, there's only two things you can do, which is ignore something or legislate it to death, because that is the NCAA way. So we got to figure out what's the best way to operate in this name, image, and likeness universe. And then how does that affect the transfer portal, the freedom of players to move around? And then ultimately, the bigger discussion is, and again, there's uh, some subgroups and committees discussing this stuff. Uh, just how you spend money. Should you be able to have more scholarships? Should you be able to have more coaches? And should the the richest programs have almost no limits on what they do and just be able to do whatever they want to do? And then if you can't keep up, that's fine. But then maybe that top group of football teams will break off and do their own thing, have their own championship. So we want to do two things here. We want to talk about a little bit the rules. And if there was a top tier, 
Gene Smith had mentioned this to Heather Dinnett from ESPN a couple weeks ago. I know Gene very well. Gene is great because he'll throw out ideas, but you have to be careful. Just because Gene says something publicly doesn't mean it's going to happen. He spitballs, but I like spitballing. He'd be a good podcaster, actually. Gene Smith should have a podcast (laughs) because he's not afraid to throw out ideas and say, hey, this is what we're talking about. And then I've had many conversations with Gene where it's like, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. And then four days later, the Big Ten says, we're doing the opposite of what Gene suggested. And it's like, no harm, but just don't take it as the letter of the law. So, Shahan, what we want to do is come up with some parameters for what a top tier of college football would look like, some of the rules they would live by in spending money, in acquiring players, in dealing with name, image, and likeness. What might those rules be? And then we'll decide who might want to be in that top tier. And I think Gene said around 30. That's a number that's been thrown out a lot. There's 130 teams in major college football right now. There's 65 power conference teams. When you think about the five major conferences and Notre Dame, that's going to change as soon as Cincinnati and BYU and these other teams jump up. That will expand. But there really is a top, 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 top. So, Shahan, I have football spending And I have football records this century, how well you've done on the field. And then according to the Department of Education's database, everybody has to put in how much money they spent. I used 2019 because that was the last normal year before COVID stuff. I have who spent the most money. So we can talk, we can use that then for our tiers, but let's make some rules for the top tier. Let's start with your view of name, image, and likeness. The collectives that this five minutes you haven't talked yet because I sh- I shouted about I should have the ultimate freedom to talk as much as I want on this podcast I don't care if Sean can't get a word in edgewise it's my freedom that comes first to do what's the right thing with nil these collectives are have sprung up everywhere around a lot of universities there's already multiple collectives if you don't have one yet one's coming basically it is a an outside group. That's set up as a pseudo charity and you tell donors, hey, give us money and then we'll give it to the players and we'll have them do charity stuff or we'll have them do an endorsement thing, whatever. But it's just a middleman. God, the NCAA loves middlemen. It's a middleman between boosters and players that is supposedly allowed right now, although the NCAA is actually saying, well, no, it's not allowed the way you're doing it necessarily. What's the right thing? for collectives and should there be two different versions of this for the heaviest hitters and then everybody else i mean frankly collectives shouldn't exist collectives make no sense uh the idea that there's this affiliated group i mean not to make this you know into political comparison but it's like the super PACs thing right like it's like why why does this exist when really what you're doing is fundraising for a candidate well you're fundraising for a school so to me especially if we're going to have this breaking off, I think a fundamental part of it needs to be that schools are allowed to pay for play. That fundamentally that that is part of it, that NIL is part of it, but that also we have this level of pay for play where it's coming directly from the schools. Obviously it's going to be funded by boosters. They're going to donate to the schools and the schools are going to do what they want with it. But this idea of NIL being a stand in for, boosters to come in and and set up these groups to sign people to, to contracts by the way these are legitimate contracts uh and somehow that doesn't constitute pay for play 
because pay for play is bad. It, we need to streamline this. This is this is garbage. This makes no sense whatsoever to, to say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to set up a Horns for Hearts charity and pay all of our offensive linemen. But by the way, that's not pay for play because you're being an offensive lineman at Texas. That makes no sense whatsoever. And so I think that if we are moving to a level of the top breaking off, we probably just need to formalize a level of pay for play. And I think that if we do formalize the level of pay for play, it allows us to have a lot more transparency than these sort of shadow collectives that we have right now. And so I think that with that, I think you need to be able to to report how much salary you're paying out to guys. I think that that should be public information. Uh, you know, I think I think that salary transparency, I think that expense transparency is a positive thing, especially when it's involving a public institution. But, you know, when you talk about NIL, NIL, of course, should exist in the form of name, image and likeness legislation. But I want to make a distinction between what you know, it's kind of clear pay for play. Like we, we hear specifically Nigel Pack, the, the point guard who headed over to, to, to Miami from Kansas State. He signed a two year, $800,000 contract. Pay for play is happening right now. If we're going to do it, let's do it and not sort of do this weird workaround where boosters run the show, you know, with these sort of shadow organizations. I can. Completely agree with that. And I think you're right on it with that. You just take these collectives and you put them inside the athletic departments. The people who are running the collectives, I, why would anyone trust them? And get back to me when the first collective defaults on the contract with the, that it signed with some player who said, oh, this collective said they were going to give me. Or, or the first point- time that it's embezzled. I mean, I, all these donors are just giving millions and millions of dollars to these guys to, to give to, to players. Like It is high on my list. Somebody's skimming off the top. I'm sorry. We should set up a collective. Uh, we should find a school, convince some donors to give us a bunch of money, and then just never pay it out. I cannot. And that, I guess, right, there, if their charities under 501, 5013Cs, which they're claiming they are, they have to divulge how they're paying the people in charge. I am. I can't wait to get my hands on some of these records to find out, oh, the CEO of this collective is paying himself $1.6 million a year to do nothing because I bet that's happening. Oh, middlemen, we know what you're up to. We're here to help the schools. (laughs) We want to, oh, it's hard to be a collective CEO. I can't wait. Now, if it's not, great. I can't wait to check. I don't want to bring you down to bring you down. But if you're stealing money, then I'm going to bring you down. Oh, I can't. Oh, you, you, you weaselly middlemen hangers on. Oh, I hate it. So players should be able to make money. I think there is a, and the other thing, and we're not going to answer, we're not going to have all the answers here because it's not the homework podcast. Go do your, someone else go do the rest of the homework. There are so many advantages to putting it in the athletic department. And if so, you you take the collective, now it's inside the athletic department. And something we have to figure out is we know that Title IX is a great thing and it exists to provide equal educational opportunities. And because sports are part of universities and fall under education, that applies 
to athletic opportunities as well. And it absolutely should. But if we're going to be in a world where like, hey, football players should be able to get paid, we have to separate that from Title IX opportunities because we're not talking about opportunities. We're talking about jobs. So apply that to everything else. But sometimes we want everything. And this, the way we thought about college sports 30 years ago is not the way we think about it now. So if you're going to say, well, what about Title IX? Figure it out. Figure out a way for the people who play the sports and especially put their and bo- brains and bodies on the line for the entertainment of 100,000 people. They are different than athletes who perform for 500 people. And the sport isn't as violent as football. It's just different. So figure that out so you can pay these people. Put the collectives inside. Have a way, maybe the, the collectives, the inside collectives, it's just, it's just the salary. The salary pool for your football players and maybe some other a couple of the sports, I don't know. Maybe it's funded, has to be funded by donations, can't be funded by raising tickets, can't be funded by mostly that can't be funded by a new TV contract because that stuff we're using for the whole department, right? Hey, we want to make sure we got a big TV deal for football. We are going to spread that out for all the sports. Hey, we raise football ticket prices. We are going to spread that out, but we're going to set it up. Donors, you're nuts. That's fine. It's good to be nuts. Give us money so we can pay our players. The more you give us, the more we can pay them. I think I don't I don't think it's that hard, but you just you nailed it. I didn't know that you'd na- Ooh, you are good at rules. You were right. You are a rules guy. It's just take what you have and put it inside. And that becomes one of the dividing lines. If you want to be in the top tier of football, you've got to put your collective inside. And fundraise to your collective. And that becomes your salary pool to pay your football players. It's direct payment. And if you can't or choose not to do that, you're not in the top tier. And then we'll have some kind of thing maybe where you still can sort of do it. But there's a world where we'll be having pay for play for the top tier people that want it. And if you don't want it, you can still play at a very high level and play against those teams and be involved, but not play at the highest level. I don't. Yes, there are details there, Shahan. I don't think that's that difficult to figure out, though. And I think in one swoop, that solves a, a decent chunk of where we're at right now. Because there's another thing that I would then tie to that. But we we're, we solved it. Congratulations. That's it for the College Football Survivor Show. Right. Is that not an easy solution? Is everybody saying this or are we the only two smart people who have figured this out? I assume it's there, right? I, I, I assume that uh, that some somebody else is kind of making this case. Because the other thing, too, that I'll mention is that when we move into a pay-for-play world, it, there are going to be schools that don't want to do this, right? I, I think that Vanderbilt probably will not be interested in paying football players uh, what they're sort of worth to be able to compete at this level. Uh, you know, Colorado, I don't think that as they exist right now, they're going to be particularly interested. Kansas, right? Like there are going to be schools, a, a substantial number of schools probably who are going to want to pull out. And actually the flip side of that is that there might be some schools who really want to get in on this, right? That, who are a group of five schools even potentially, right? I, I think that obviously Cincinnati and BYU and Houston are moving up right now. And those are probably going to be schools that would be interested in that kind of world. Uh, you know, I'd be curious about uh, like an Appalachian state. I'd be curious about an SMU, right? Obviously they have quite the history of paying players. SMU is like, finally, finally, it's come back around. <laughs> we want to pay guys. 
<laughs> and so, but I think that, I think that that's just a fundamental first step, right? If you don't want to do this, that's fine too. I, I also want to be clear. I don't think that there's anything wrong with not wanting to do that. Absolutely. But we think about college sports so much in the context of like the 70s and 80s. And after uh, NCAA versus Oklahoma, the Supreme Court case passed that basically democratized television contracts for schools and conferences. It's a different game. It, it, we are not playing the same sport 40 years later as we were then. This is not this is not the same as you going to your local high school and watching the game. And up until the 60s and 70s, it kind of was. It wasn't that different from that. This isn't that. This is a made-for-TV product worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And the reality is you can make the case that you don't have the money when – you're sort of a local endeavor that plays against other regional schools. You cannot make that case when you're the University of Alabama and you've made billions of dollars over the past couple of years, basically off the back of your football program being good. And, and I do want to say one thing that always comes up is, well, if we do football this way, then we won't be able to afford anything else. We won't be able to pay for the Olympic sports, all that sort of stuff. This funds the, all this, whatever they have division two volleyball. They have, Division two lacrosse, like this idea that that we can only afford to play other sports if football pays millions and millions towards them is kind of ridiculous to me. If you are making a value judgment in your athletic department that you don't want to pay the three hundred thousand dollars to fund a soccer team, that's a decision. Every single player on the roster, right, uh, on a football team, uh, you know, every locker, like lockers cost $50,000 these days. The idea, so so you just need to, I, I think that there's been such a keeping up with the Joneses in college football when it comes to paying for everything except for salaries, that I think that now we're at a place where people are making those decisions in athletic departments and acting like these are rational decisions to make against funding other sports. Well, and I'll also at some, at some point, my uh, empathy for funding every sport in the world starts to dissipate because why is fencing more important than violin? Why is the diving team more important than a magic, the gathering club? It's a, it's an activity that most people outside of the people doing it don't care about. So why does why do you have to have a team? Why do you have a right to have a team? Why do you have a a, a privilege to have a scholarship for that? And that that football players pay for it. Football players pay for the fencing team. Why? They don't pay for the violin team. It it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. So if nobody cares about your sport, then maybe you can play it for fun, but maybe you don't get a scholarship for it, and maybe you don't have a new building. Or maybe you can fundraise or whatever. Like you can't have everything. And the football players never agreed to fund with their bodies and brains every sport in the world that seven people care about and only their parents come watch. And I know that makes people mad, but you know why it makes you mad? Because you care about one little niche sport that your kids play, kid plays. You don't care about the other niche sport and opportunities. I get it. You know what else is a great opportunity? Chemistry, violin. There's a lot of kids that go for, to college for chemistry and violin that don't get scholarships for it because the football team doesn't pay for chemistry and violin scholarships. So if you want to fence, figure it out. Fencing's great. Doesn't mean football's going to pay for it. But also, as you said, we can figure it out. It's not only football teams, but maybe 
you travel a little bit less. Maybe your uniforms don't get replaced as often. But like you don't, if people don't care about what you do, welcome to the world. You got to get people to care. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a hobby. And sometimes people, other people don't pay for your hobby. So that's life, brother. The reality is Stanford's not going to cut sports, right? Like Stanford wants to fund a lot of sports because they find prestige in being good at every sport. And in the Midwest, they're not going to cut wrestling. They're just not going to do it. You know, wrestling's too big of a deal in Iowa and at Oklahoma State and in schools like that. So I, I just, you know, it's a relative non-issue to me. And like you said, the idea that it's the idea that it that it needs to be funded from the revenue brought in by football. When I went to high school, they had sports that we didn't pay millions of dollars to play those sports. If if you're a fencer, you need like the the costumes and like some swords and a fence and a fence. Oh no, no, <laughs> no, and and an open space. And you're pretty much good. And you're fine. Yeah, great. You're, you're pretty much good. You don't need to pay for a giant arena to do your fencing in. And and that's a, and I want to say that's relatively true with football too. You know where a lot of this money to pay players is going to come from? It's going to come from facility money because that's where money has been funneled for so long. So guess what? You're going to trade out a $70,000 locker to get paid. And you know what? Almost every player in in the country would happily take that trade off other than like, you know, Arch Manning, who already has lots of money. All right. So we know we're right. We know we're right about this. And we will take at CFB Survivor Show. If you disagree with us, let us know. And maybe we'll read some on the airs. Twitter at CFB Survivor Show. But the thing about it is we're right. So that's part of it. And then the second part of it is. Once you establish this and you have the teams that choose to do pay for play, once you're paying athletes, you can limit their movement because now they're employees. And the thing, there's two things that I don't like that's happening right now. The, actually, the coaches who are like, hey, everybody should just stop complaining and get with it. It's the NIO world, baby. It's like, you know what complaining is? It's trying to find solutions. So we like gone. People complained like, hey, NIL is ruining sports. Now we swung back the other way where everybody who's saying like, hey, tough noogies, this is the way it is. Everybody like that's getting praised. That's ridiculous to throw up your hands and be like, well, I guess we're going to have middleman boosters handing out money for nothing. And that's it doesn't have to be that way. We're problem solving. So quit praising the people who are just like, hey, get on board or get off the train. That's not an answer. Hey, man, Mike Bray is right there. Mike Bray is right there. Please, please be nicer to Mike Bray. Go. I like Mike Bray. He has the stubble. But sit on the sideline and let the problem solvers figure this out. And we'll <laughs> let you know when we fixed your freaking sport. So here's the thing. Once you pay them, you can limit their movement, not prevent all movement. But the idea that every college athlete is a free agent after every college season, and that's the way it is, and that's the way it should be, does not exist in any other sport in America. No, my no. daughter, my daughter transferred high schools for an academic reason. We had a hearing with the high school athletic board with lawyers from our school district to, to get my daughter who played first doubles for a team that won 30 percent of the time who transferred for an academic reason. We had a hearing with 40 people in the room. 
because we had to get a waiver because guess what? You can't just transfer high schools and play sports. Now, that's insane. And by the way, <laughs> that happened right before the pandemic. And if the pandemic hadn't come and everybody's like, well, you know, we got to get through the pandemic. State High School Association was going to get ready for some little Dougie because that was not going to that the way that was handled. It was the most insane thing I've ever been a part of. So high school athletic associations who exist to just limit opportunities for kids who just want to have sports as a social activity, cram it. Okay, so those figure out how to sell the popcorn at the state championship and then get out of the freaking way. So that's one thing, <laughs> it, it, which, by the way, it, it's also hilarious that all of that happens and somehow the football player still transfers to a new school and plays like somehow that still happens. Yeah, I brought up Tate Martell in my hearing in my daughter's <laughs> hearing. That, that, I was like, Tate Martell can leave and get a waiver to go play at Miami. And my kid can't be on the tennis team because she transferred for academic reasons to be part of an academic program that's only available at one high school in our town. And they were like, we know you. You're that sports writer. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> You're the yelling guy. <laughs> Let my daughter have as much freedom as Tate Martell. So, well, I, I don't know if you want anybody to have as much freedom as Tate Martell has had in his life. I almost had Tate come in. I was like, Tate, can you swing by? So, so here's the thing. Ultimate free agency is not how it works. No. You don't get that major league baseball. You, have to do it for, you don't get it. NFL, you get a rookie contract. NBA, nobody gets to change teams, whatever. You earn that. So the idea that, hey, coaches leave, players leave, that's not the comparison. The comparison is not players to coaches. It's players to players. And players in every sport do not have the freedom that all of a sudden everybody thinks college players absolutely should have at all costs. Because you know why they don't have it? Competitive balance. Because we're not operating in silos. We're existing in a world where we're trying to create an atmosphere where it's entertaining and some level of fair. And fun and interesting and competitive because competition matters. But you can't limit the movement. We're stuck now. They limited the movement forever. And then we figured out that doesn't seem right. But if you pay them, you can limit them. And I think there's a world where you could say, we're paying you. If you're at a school that pays for play, you can't, if you transfer to another school that pays for play, you sacrifice 70% of what you earned here. Or... Um, you can't gain, you can't get money from the new school for a year. You can play, but you can't get money. If you go down, if you transfer from a pay for play school to a non pay for play school, you're fine. If you transfer up, you're fine, but you can't transfer across the highest level. Like you're up for bid. You can't sell your services to the highest bidder because guess what? That's not how sports works. So I think that solves a problem. It solves the unlimited Jordan Addison from Pitt is on the market kind of thing. So if you want to transfer because you think you have a better opportunity at a school, but it prevents players being bid upon because that's free agency. That's not a pursuit of opportunity. That's free agency. And you don't get free agency like after a year or two. That doesn't exist in any sport. So I think you solve that problem because that problem also has to be solved. Because as it is right now, with the collectives outside the athletic department and unlimited player movement, it's free agency. Right. And the idea that that Jordan Addison, right, one of the, the best players in the country, can just like be tampered with while he's a player at Pitt, while he's not considering leaving at all, and then 
you're just like, well, man, if it's millions of dollars, I, I don't know how I can say no to this. I can change my entire family's life. What do you do with that? Right? Like that's, that's not good for anybody. And so I think, uh, I think that, you know, one thing that you could do, right, is for certain schools, right? Like we, we heard the, the, you know, report from the athletic that uh, a player, a five-star quarterback signed, I think it was a three-year contract worth up to $8 million, something like that. And, you know, and, and that's a big contract, right? And so I think that if you sign a contract like that, you should be, I think you should generally have to, to, to follow that contract. And I think that one thing that could be a competitive advantage for some other schools is signing guys to, to contracts that maybe have like opt out years or have like early termination options, right? Where, where it's like, okay, maybe I'll go to this school and they won't pay me as much, but they give me more flexibility from a, uh, from a contract perspective, right? So like we see that all the time in sports, you know, there's, there's people who want to maybe go for the guaranteed money. There are people who want to go for the flexibility, you know, in the NBA, one thing that happens is like, there's sort of an escalating sort of maximum salary based on how many years you've been in the league. So guys opt out after a certain number of years so they can try to get a pay increase. You know, I mean, that's all fine to me as long as it's agreed to. That's what it comes down to. It's not unlimited. It's not unlimited right. freedom that I get to do whatever I want. And I don't care how it affects any other players, how it affects my teammates, how it affects my coaches. But the main thing is that every time you move and take a spot with your unlimited freedom, you're pushing somebody else to the side who thought they had a spot. Now they have to move. Your unlimited freedom has an effect. And it, so we can't have it. But you can't. You have to give something. What are we going to give? We're going to pay it. Yes. Yes. And so I think, I think that it's just, yeah, this is not how sports works anywhere else. There's not a world where, you know, where Patrick Mahomes is really good. And then the Cowboys are like, I'll take that, you know, after, after two years, that just doesn't happen. You, you have flexibility to sign people to a contract, but you also, the other part of that too, right? Is that you have the opportunity to make it worth their while to stay in a fundamental public way. And, and this is also where, you know, what, why I think that it would be important for contracts to be sort of public, like they are in pro sports is because I do think that you want to have an understanding. If you are one of the, the mid tier schools, who's maybe paying players, you want to have an understanding of, okay, what am I up against? What do I need to have? What do I need to procure in order to keep some of this high end talent around? And, and when do I need to procure it? I, I think that that's the big thing, right? Because if you're pit, and you know that this was going to happen, that Jordan Addison was going to come out. And I mean, we don't know exactly how much money, but we've heard it's in the seven figures, uh, you know, what he's potentially being offered at USC and Texas and all these schools. Uh, if you know that, you can make a decision too, right? And and actually, even with that, you know, something that we have in soccer is transfer fees. You know, teams pay the other team for the right to negotiate with that player. And the way that it kind of works is basically it helps fund another team in the short term in exchange for the player. Now I'm not saying that there's enough money in college football to be able to do transfer fees, but that's the sort of thing that happens in other sports and nobody kind of bats an eye. So there's opportunity for all that. I think we, we have to get to this point. And again, if you are an unlimited freedom player should be able to do it. I just don't know what you're doing. Yes, players should get paid, but like the players should be able to do whatever they want. Like the, there's some people who have been really, I think, on the side of the players for so long and pushing for their rights. And I'm on that side. 
But now those people are like off. They're so far off the edge that they don't want any limit to anything. And it's like, well, now that we've got some opportunity and freedom and payment for players, now let's figure out how to put parameters on it for the good of the sport in the name of competitive balance. And then if you are if you are a no parameters person, you're just not a serious person. You're just you just can't again sit over there with Mike Bray, have a coffee, and the adults will figure this out. Just listen to this podcast. We're figuring it out. Here's my other thing that I'm gonna propose, which is a slight wrinkle on this, and we'll do that right after this break on the College Football Survivor Show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. He's Will Anderson. We know what he is. We know what it looks like. Right. He's a game wrecker getting after the quarterback. And he's played in four playoff games already. If he retired from football tomorrow, he'd make a case. But he's not going to retire from football. And a year from now, there might be no case. He might be number one on this list. Alabama does not come close to making the national title game in 2021 without Will Anderson in the lineup. I think he is on the short list of the best players in football heading into 2022. Bryce Young has a case. Jackson Smith and Jigba has a case. But like, if you're putting together a list of every college football player heading into 2022... Will Anderson's probably number one on that list. Mm -hmm. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we're about a half hour, an hour into rule talk. That's about, that's about enough. Time, almost time to get to the who's going to be in the top tier. But here's the last thing I would say about the top tier. I think you can create a top tier and the people who want to play by these rules, we're going to pay players, we're going to have some kind of limit on their movement within this tier at the very least, as we're paying them. Maybe there's some other things. I actually think it's okay to have a limit on how many coaches you have, because again, everybody that's not a head coach is a middleman. I don't think the solution to this is why can't we have 30 coaches because it's stupid and we're going to limit you from throwing money away. And until you're just an absolute pro team that exists only for one reason, and there's no even hint of an educational thing there you can't have 30 football coaches like it's it's ridiculous it's insane so that part of it, if you want to increase the scholarships i'd still do think a scholarship cap is good can you increase it from where it is great i get that more opportunity here's the final thing that i that i've thought of and tell me if you've heard this elsewhere i don't think we have to break up the conferences so I think we can have the Big 10, Big 12, ACC, SEC, Pac-12 exist like they do right now And this is only a championship situation so that in the Big 12, for instance, you're going to have 14 teams in there. You might have seven that play at the highest championship level and seven that play on the next championship level. So that means, yes, as you operate during the full season, you're going to have some teams in the Big 12 that are paying their players and some that aren't. But guess what? Sometimes the teams that don't pay players are going to beat the teams that do pay players. And you're going to exist in your conference. You're going to have the local geographic rivalries. And then when it's championship time, 
the top seven teams are going to go off and play in that championship scenario with the other 34 teams who have their rules. And then the other 90 teams are going to play in their championship. But during the season, I don't think we have to have a world where the whole regular season is only the top tier against the top tier. Because then the committee, the group, however this top tier decides who gets in the playoff and who doesn't, they evaluate your season based on your strength of competition, just like you do now. So I had just come up with that, but I don't think you have to destroy the geographically based conferences and the traditional rivalries in the name of creating tiers. Have you heard that? Or am I the smartest person in college football? And would it work? I think it's tough. I I think it's tough for me because when we talk about this sort of breaking off, right, it is in the context of basically, for all intents and purposes, becoming the junior NFL. That is the way that we talk about it. We talk about 30 teams or so creating this sort of Super League type scenario. And um, I'm curious, right? I'm curious how that would still affect interest in the sport because it would still be a two-tiered sport even if we don't break up these conferences, right? It's a two-tiered sport right now. It is, but like... Indiana hasn't beaten Ohio State in 35 years. Ohio State's in one tier, Indiana's in another. That's true right now. We're just putting a name on it, but why do we have to say Indiana and Ohio State never play anymore? I think that there's like an aspect of formality of playing against a team that's like an upper division team against you. I, I, I don't know. It's You're looking for reasons to not like this. There's no reason to not like it. <laughs> no, I, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think of it from a, like a, a psychology perspective. Like what, what's the, what is the appeal of college football, right? If you are an Indiana fan, if you are a, you know, whatever else fan, I think that it's that you feel like you have a chance right like that you have a ch- that that maybe in your great year and and for indiana fans maybe it's it's okay the the super duper incredible scenario is maybe we win 10 games like maybe that's just like the bar for an incredible season but like if if you are in the i, I mean well i was going to say Vanderbilt. I don't, I, well how does this change this why can't indiana win 10 games all right there's seven teams in the big 10 that are playing at the higher level why can't they still beat them you're codifying the, the thing that exists. I think it would be more than that, though. I, I think it would be more than that in the Big Ten, though. I think it's part of the issue. I think that we'd be like at 11, 12 teams that would want to do that. So, so the issue is – we'll see. We'll see when we get to our tier, which we're going to do in five minutes because we're my rule patience is running thin. Listen, <laughs> it's no different than now. But if you're – because here's your choice if you're Purdue – You can either have Ohio State, Michigan be in a top tier and you never see them again and the Big Ten doesn't exist as a football conference anymore or you can do it like this. What do you want, Purdue? Do you never want to play Michigan and Ohio State again and now Purdue is playing Minnesota and Northern Illinois every year? That's it. Ohio State, Michigan left for the top tier. They're gone. Or, yes, they pay players. Yes, they have bigger budgets. You still have a TV contract. Maybe you divvy up the shares a little bit more. If you're in the top tier, you get a 1.25 share instead of a one share, whatever. You figure it out. But Purdue, they're leaving. They're going to do their thing. Do you want to hang on to them a little bit or not? And Ohio State, you're going to the top tier. You want to play those teams 12 times a year? Or you want to play five or six games a year against the teams in your tier and also have some teams 
that are nearby geographically that you have tradition with that'll be fun to play and that maybe won't beat your players up as much. Like, why not keep that part of it? What is the downside? And if the downside is Purdue's going to say, but those guys are in the top tier, they're all ready. And it's either this or goodbye. So you're putting it to the people in the second tier. They're leaving. You want to hang on a little bit or not at all? And why wouldn't you pick hang on a little bit? I think my question is just fundamentally then, what is Purdue playing for at that point? It's They're playing to finish as high as they can in the, in the Big Ten, which is half top-tier teams and half second-tier teams. And they are playing to win the second-tier championship, which doesn't exist right now. But all those teams that aren't in the top tier, they have their own championship. And Purdue's going to go like seven and five. But it's going to be like, well, man, four of our losses were to top tier teams. The committee, we, we, we think we have a good chance to get in the 16-team playoff for the second tier championship and go beat Oregon State in the national championship game. That's more than what Purdue is playing for now. And guess what? Do you think it's a big deal to beat Ohio State? Wait till Ohio State's in the top tier and you beat Ohio State once every 15 years. That'll tear the house down. Everything's better for Purdue. Everything's better for Ohio State. There is no reason to be against my proposal. I think that I just wonder whether that second tier championship becomes the FCS anyway, you know, becomes. But but there's none right now. So you'd rather you'd rather fake live in a fake world where Purdue's like, well, we could win the national championship. No, you can't. You can never win a national championship. Actually, here's a national championship you could win. Oh, we don't want it because it's second tier. Oh, okay. Good luck beating Alabama. It's insane. (laughs) You have to get past it. Get past it, Purdue. Get past it. I'm throwing you a lifeline. You're not Ohio State and you're never going to be. You can keep Ohio State in your life. You don't have to beat Alabama to win a national championship. You can still keep all the good things about the Big Ten. You're still sharing TV money. You keep in traditional geographic rivalries. But guess what? At the end of the year, you get to go play Oregon State and Vanderbilt for a title instead of playing some lousy bowl game and watching Alabama play Ohio State on TV for a title. All right. If, I, I understand. Most people, you're just in the phase of it's hard to wrap your head around it. It is rock. It is infallible. I just saw Sam Houston win a national title in FCS and then decide to jump up to a complete mess of an FBS conference for the opportunity to be FBS. And so I don't know what would motivate fans in that in that case. I think that that's the part that is sort of hard to wrap my head around is how would people value these things? But I think another thing to mention, too, is that if we do have this sort of second tier championship, right? Like half, half of the power five obviously will not be this top tier. And there are a lot of really engaged fan bases who will still be part of that second tier. This isn't, you know, this isn't Houston Baptist, right? Like this isn't uh, it, it, you're going to have really big brands that matter to people a lot, like Indiana, like Purdue, like Minnesota, that still will be playing in this league. So maybe that's just the solution is that you just have more engaged fans because these are just more significant schools, even if they're not the most significant schools. It's just making people face reality and then figuring out a way that the new reality is actually better for them if they accept it. If you want to live in a fantasy world and wait for the time that your team beats the big dog once every 60 years, then I don't know what to do with you. I'm throwing you a lifeline, people. 
I've just solved college football. Let's make a tier. How many I have, as it turns out, I wasn't looking for a number. And I'm open to adding some teams because there are some teams that I didn't do as much work on. I really only looked at the current 65 power teams. To, to be honest, I, I have basically just completely gone off of vibes. I, I didn't do a whole lot of a... I, I thought that, uh, you know, you were doing a lot of the, uh, the data analysis. and all. I got data. Yeah. I got data. I got spreadsheets. I, I actually had my Excel is from 2004. It was like, do you want to use <laughs> Excel 2004 to do this spreadsheet? And I was like hitting a button. It was like, sort the column, sort the column, sort the column, and nothing sorted. And I was like, well, this thing is 18 years old. Maybe I need to update my computer. So uh, based on, and again, there's some, there's always vibes involved in life, right? Life is like 30% vibes anyway. So you're okay on vibes. I have the money. It's uh, football spending, but guess what football spending is often based on? Football money taken in because you can't spend it if you don't have it. So TV contracts and all those things do factor into some teams. If they had more, they'd spend more. I got 30. I got 30 of the 65. I wasn't like, that's a rough. Do you, do you want to go conference by conference? I do want to, I, I do want to do it that way. And then when I want to talk about the teams that also we might throw in, um, because we need to have a Cincinnati, BYU, SMU, Houston, Central Florida kind of discussion. Cause we do have to think about those teams as we create this top tier. Let's start in your backyard in the big 12. And I will tell you that I created something that I call the Iowa state line. Okay. According to the 2019 U S department of education, statistics that that teams are that programs have to submit to the department of education it's your athletic department spending and it's very it's recruiting spending it's salary spending it's broken down by sports so this is football spending iowa state is 35th in 2019 they spent 52 million dollars on football they're 35th if you are below iowa state in how much you spend on football I don't know what to tell you. You might have aspirations, but you, we are putting a lot on aspirations because almost everybody that matters is ahead of Iowa State. So Iowa, I call it the Iowa State line. So there are five teams based on football spending in the current Big 12 that are above the Iowa State line. And they are Texas, who was number one in spending, Oklahoma, who is number six, TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. So as we think about the Big 12 as it currently exists, those five teams are the ones who I would say currently spend in a way that would justify them being in the top tier. And those are the five Big 12 teams that I put in the top tier. Let's have a discussion about the Big 12 where you agree and disagree there. To be honest, I think that's a perfect list. <laughs> I think that Texas and Oklahoma are obvious. Uh, Baylor and TCU have proven that they are willing to spend to make this happen. I think that both of them uh, understand what football can do for them uh, based off of the last 10 years especially. And Oklahoma State is an interesting one. They obviously have spent like that under Mike Gundy. I'd want to see sort of long term if they want to spend like that. But I think that they have the fan interest at this point, especially where they would want to do that. That's interesting that Iowa State is the line. I, I would have thought that maybe West Virginia would be higher than them. Uh, West Virginia is kind of a surprising one. I don't know what happened in the 2019 spending. West Virginia is 65 to 65. 
I don't I don't know what happened. It's what? the number that came in. I don't I don't I'm not going to pretend that I know what the deal is. I was shocked by it. It doesn't necessarily make sense to me either. There might be a blip there. So if you're from West Virginia and you're shouting that West Virginia should be in, we're not going only by money. If we want to have a long West Virginia conversation at the end tier was we're finalizing the tier, I think that might be reasonable. But financially, by the 2019 data, they're not there. I I would say to West Virginia, if you can give me a you know a a reason why that was a plan for why that's going to be different you know that sort of thing cuz that's that's bizarre west virginia is one of the more active brands i'd argue in the big 12 like i i would personally argue that west virginia is as engaged as oklahoma state but i mean that is that is crazy engagement doesn't always mean money no no it doesn't so so that's real and 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 money is not the only factor here if you love football, and I'm not saying this is the case with West Virginia, but if your alumni base isn't as big, if there aren't, isn't there the infrastructure, the the business infrastructure to have more donors and boosters and whatever? Like I'm just saying, again, I think the West Virginia number probably is a blip, but that's why they're not in there. So at the moment, we're okay with these five from the Big Twelve. I, I think that's a good starting point for sure. I, I do think that there's a conversation to be had about the concept of private schools in general and whether they belong in this world, but that's probably a discussion for another day. There are some private schools that are above the Iowa state line that I don't think would want to do it. So I, just because they financially they're above that line, I did not put them in my top tier because of that. And I do think it's a consideration. I don't think this has to be only a tier of large public universities, but I think it's a factor. You better spend if you're going to do it. It's a factor more on behalf of the individual university who might be like, we could, but we don't want to. Because the way we see sports fitting into our larger academic mission and the larger university life component of this, it would be a stretch and we don't want to stretch there. And we're okay. So I do think that's, it's not an end all be all, but I do think it's a thing you have to throw into the mix. Let's do the ACC because the ACC is interesting. If you had to guess, so Notre Dame, I kind of lumped with the ACC, but I kind of didn't. So let's not lump Notre Dame in here at the moment. How many other ACC teams do you think are above the Iowa state line? I'd guess eight. Three. 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 Okay. So Clemson, Florida State, Miami. That is, that is correct. And Miami is not that far above it. Wow. So, <laughs> and, and that's going to change, by the way, in 2022 and heading forward. But uh, for Miami. Miami is 29th in football wow. spending. And Clemson's wow. not that high. Clemson's 24th in football spending. Again, smaller alumni base, smaller town. Spent 63 million. Texas spent 144. There were seven teams that spent over 100 million dollars, and Iowa State spent 52. So even the top 35, we're talking half as much. We're talking almost a third as much. Iowa State spent almost a third as much as Texas on football, and we're considering where they should be in the same tier. So there's still a lot of a spending discrepancy within this top tier. I mean, if we're cutting off a top, top tier, and we're cutting it off at like, you got to spend $90 million a year on football, it's 14 teams. So like, I don't think that's that's where we are either. And it's not only money, but we're just saying there's a great disparity within here. So those are the teams, and I, and I sort of half lump Notre Dame in here. So lumping Notre Dame in, 
I'm at four with the ACC. I'm at there. I'm, I'm at those four teams: Notre Dame, Florida State, Clemson, and Miami. And if you want to talk about North Carolina, and this is like not putting in North Carolina and Duke, this does nothing to their basketball. No, no, no. They're no, going to no. win national championships. They're going to spend on basketball. We're, we'll figure out the details. They'll be able to pay directly pay players. I think you can. We'll figure it out. But this is a football only conversation. So don't freak out about lessening the power of the Duke basketball brand. But from a football conversation, does Duke want to be on the same tier as Alabama, Texas and USC? I feel like you have to get a North Carolina school in there. I, I feel like North Carolina State will step up to the plate and be like, if this is what it takes will be the representative from North Carolina. It, it just seems crazy to me that that wouldn't happen. The one that I'm probably more curious about is Virginia Tech, because Virginia Tech is a very good football brand that obviously is a little bit more of a nickel and dime program historically. So are they willing to be more than just a nickel and dime program and, and spend like the big boys? I'm surprised that they're, below the Iowa state line, to be quite honest. Where, do you know where they ended up on the list? Yeah. 38, 50 million. Iowa state's 52. So, so it's close, but again, it's one of those things. If you're Virginia tech and again, we're not going only by money here. Virginia tech would be quite a power in tier two, quite a power. No, no, they would. And, and so that's the, that is the question, right? I mean, they haven't really been a national national power since I mean, is it unfair to say since like Michael Vick? Well, like I would say they haven't been a national national power when they didn't have Michael Vick on the roster. Right. And so it is it is interesting, right? I mean, obviously, my my world is shaped a little bit by the the teams that I've covered. But, you know, I remember when there was a Virginia Tech Baylor conversation going on because Justin Fuente was interviewing for the Baylor job and maybe wanted to get out. And I always felt like I held Virginia Tech in a higher respect than that potentially you know I thought of them maybe as a better job but at the moment they're uh they're a one coach program and you know it's and it's it's kind of tough I mean Kansas State didn't didn't uh, make that list they're probably a very similar program to be honest in terms of profile uh, and we didn't really consider them so again I, I think that North Carolina State has to be on my list uh I, I guess Virginia Tech doesn't have to be because it's one of those things, again, if you're in the middle and these middle teams are interesting to talk about, which way do you want to lean? It's really tempting to be like, well, I want to be with Notre Dame and LSU and Georgia. And it's then it's like, do you really? Because you're I mean, this is no offense to Virginia Tech, but you're Virginia Tech. And if you go in tier two and now you're playing Indiana and Kentucky and Arizona State, and Wake Forest, and Boston College, those are fun. Those matter. That's not Wofford. But you can beat those teams. You can put some trophies in your lobby. And because we're keeping the ACC, you're still going to play Florida State and Clemson during the year, and you'll have a chance to beat them. You will. But you don't have to strap your athletic department to do it. You can just chill a little bit and still play really successful, important football. So I'll give you if you you feel strongly at the moment, at the very least, let's put North Carolina State in, though. 
Yeah, you've got four teams right now in the ACC in the state of North Carolina. I think you need at least one to be the football representative. All right, Wolfpack will step up. That'll kind of be their identity then. It's like Duke and North Carolina can take hoops and North Carolina State will be like, yeah, no, we got football, guys. It's okay. Right, right, right. All right, so that's five in the Big 12 and five in the ACC. Let's go to the a uh, the Big Ten. Let's go to the Big Ten. The Big Ten, number of teams above the Iowa State line is 11. Yeah, because, I mean, when you talk about, and this was something I assume is going to be true with the SEC too, you're talking about schools that are getting a Big Ten payout versus a Big 12 payout. Yeah. And then they spend it. Now, I did not put all 11 in that top tier. I put eight. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Indisputable. Nebraska spends. Nebraska's 10th in spending in 2019. They're going to hang on to the past as long as they can. They're not going anywhere. Wisconsin and Iowa and Michigan State, I think, are pretty legitimately, they're all above like the what the Virginia Tech, Kansas State tier. They all they definitely want to do this. Iowa's 16th in spending. They're it. They want to do it. So that's seven. Illinois has been bad. They're 23rd in spending. I don't know about Illinois, man. I don't know about that. But but you just said you want a team from the state of North Carolina in there. You got to have a team from Illinois in. We're not going to have a team from Illinois in the top tier. They're the state university. There's no other competition because guess who's not going? Northwestern's not going. So we're not going to have a team from Illinois. Illinois is going to want to try to do this. And I think Illinois is going to want to. Chicago. They have Chicago. They want to try to do this. But that's where I drew the line. Because I do think Minnesota, to me, is on the border. Northwestern is 10th in Big Ten spending. They're a private school. They're not going. And then I think the other two, the other four schools, Indiana and Purdue, if they have both agree not to go, they cannot go together. And Rutgers and Maryland are at the bottom. But part of that's because they're not getting a full Big Ten share yet. But I think they can agree not to go. I think if Indiana and Purdue, they've got it, their presidents have to sit down and be like, why are we doing this to each other? Because if one goes, the other one's going to go. But it's like, let's keep our thing. Let's make the old Oaken bucket really important. Let's go try to win the Tier 2 National Championship. We'll keep all the other good stuff, most of the other good stuff about the Big Ten. But let's not do this. And let's go crazy in basketball. But let's not try to beat Bama in football. Have a little sense. I have eight. Are you so? Are you closer to seven by kicking out Illinois? Or, there, or would you pull up like Minnesota or Indiana or Maryland or something? I understand that Illinois has Chicago in it, but I don't find the case that Illinois needs to have a team as compelling. Because, but then why does North Carolina State? What's what's the case that North Carolina needs to have a top tier team in the state and Illinois doesn't? I mean, I think that I, I think that when you have four FBS schools who are all pretty major, who have all had success in football too. I mean, Wake Forest this past year obviously has been fantastic. North Carolina. I, I think that a big part of it, just realistically too, is that North Carolina is a talent-producing state, and to not have a football team in a talent-producing state feels like a mistake. Because Chicago is a big 10 town. It's not an Illinois town alone. It's in it. And honestly, if you ask Chicago what it is, I mean, it is as much, if not more a basketball town. Listen, you lived in Chicago for 18 months. You're like, Hey, <laughs> let me tell you the vibes on the streets of Chicago. <laughs> but I mean, is there 
this fervor about Illinois football that's more than what you're finding in the state of Minnesota with the University of Minnesota? Is is there a fervor that's fundamentally different than Minnesota has hockey? For real. I'm not even joking there. No, no, no. I know. I know. I know. And and I mean, I know that obviously wrestling plays a role up there too, but like, I don't know. I think that, I think that Illinois would be much, 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 much better off trying to establish itself as a basketball state and funneling a lot of that money into, into basketball. You don't believe in Brett Bielema. You're just out. Well, no, I don't, but that's that's independent of this. He played the wing tee last year and beat Penn State three to two. He is a football genius. <laughs> I mean, but like, uh, I mean, so like, for example, where is Illinois in terms of attendance in the Big Ten? Like, I don't know. Is there? Yeah. Well, they have a I'm, Red I'm, Grange I'm, statue up front. That's important. Fantastic. Red Grange. <laughs> Red Grange gets them into the top tier. They're going to say, how could we have a statue of Red Grange? And and not try to play with the big boys. Well, I walk uh, when whenever I go to to Dallas, I walk past the Doak Walker statue at SMU, and nobody cares about them. There's a Robert Griffith Griffin the Third statue at Griffith the Third at uh, 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 Baylor. I saw that right there's a statue of him. It's RG3. not very good, to be honest. It's <laughs> not very good, but but you know, this is a statue. Uh, but look, just because. Somebody was fantastic in 1932. I don't know when Red Grange played. I assume it's around then. Uh, that does not mean that that team needs. To, I mean, we we talked about uh, we talked about um, about Nebraska in the context of they're trying to hang on to the past by doing this. And this is a state that lives and dies with the Cornhuskers, as opposed to a state that's like, yeah, Illinois is over there. I'm not saying I'm not saying it would be the smartest thing to do. I'm saying I think they would go, and I think they would go and try. So we got to move on because we got to get to the conference. They hired Brett Bielema. Brett Bielema's a winner. He is a winner. That was their splash. He's a Juice Williams, 2008. That was a big win. Listen, yeah, he was fire. Rashad Rashad Mendenhall. I mean, Rashad Mendenhall. Now we're just (laughs) naming. Illinois is off my list. Illinois they've is had three. <laughs> they've had three good football players in ninety years: Red Grange, <laughs> Richard Mendenhall, and Juice Williams, and Brandon Peters. And uh, that uh, what's that edge rusher guy? Simeon Rice. He was good. Listen, I I oh, covered yeah. Illinois football. I'm putting them on. Somebody okay. has to be the worst team in the top tier, and they're going to try to do it. <laughs> so I gave you North Carolina State, so I'm going to take Illinois, and that's going to make eight from the All Big right. Ten. I Fair do think, enough. Fair uh, to enough. me, I think Illinois and Minnesota are right on the borderline. I think I think Northwestern, Indiana, Purdue, Maryland, Rutgers, they should all chill. And I think Michigan State and those top seven teams are pretty stinking clear. I would be slightly curious long term about what Maryland wants. I, I do feel like there is interest there. I feel like there is investment there, but I just don't. If this decision is made in 10 years, I think that Maryland might be on the other side of this. If this decision is made today, obviously, I don't think that they are. Maryland 45th in 2019 football spending 45 million. 45th of 65 so like right there i mean again we we have to everything in life is a dividing line everything in life there's six inches over here where it's raining and six inches over here where it's not raining and people like there has to be dividing lines so that's what most of life is is fighting over the dividing lines and then the other half is pretending dividing lines don't exist but they all they exist everywhere 
there's not this amorphous. There's a line. There's a lot. There's always a yes or a no. There's the last person I went to get dessert the other night, and the person in front of me got dessert, and they pointed at me and said, "You, you don't get dessert." And I said, "Then why did you let me stand in line for eleven minutes?" It's very personal. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, "Well, just let me in." But then the person behind me would have been like, well, what about me? You have to draw a line, and sometimes you don't want dessert. But Illinois is bum-rushing the dessert counter and be like, oh, take my order, take my order. Illinois is in. We'll come back after this. ACC, no, SEC, Pac-12 still on the board. Who's making the top tier on the College Football Survivor Show? The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug and Shahan, this is good. There's a little, a little bit of a little bit of arguing in this one. I like this is argumentative, Doug. If you're not as accustomed to argumentative, Doug, sometimes I try to be nice and rise to the level of Shahan. He makes me a better person. But now I'm dragging myself down into the gutter here because I have very strong opinions about this stuff. Uh, Pac-12. Guess how many teams in the Pac-12 were above the Iowa State line financially? I am going to guess four. That is exactly right. Do you want to guess who they are? USC. Barely. <laughs> Private school. Interesting. Yeah. Barely. They're 33rd. 2019. Obviously, I expect that number will go up in 2022 and after. Oregon. Correct. Washington. They're number one in the Pac-12. Interesting. And who? Uh, Stanford. Utah. Which fits with wow. who matters on the field right now. Wow. Wow. I, I'm a little surprised about Utah, to be honest. You said you had used Colorado as a possible sort of like dividing line team. They're fifth in football spending in the Pac-12. So that's where the dividing line kind of is in the Pac-12. By football spending. By football spending, not the end of the I'm BL. surprised that they're that high. I'm surprised. Colorado, Arizona State, Washington State, Stanford, Arizona, UCLA, Cal, Oregon State. The one I wonder about here is whether UCLA gets dragged along. If USC does it, is UCLA going to go? But they just have not been that good. And I don't know how much they care about football. You you think they will get dragged along? No, I I don't think that they will. I think that UCLA, first of all, basketball is going great. So I think that people just care less right now. Uh, The other part of it, too, is that, you know, they kind of just floated through the universe for a lot of years. And then they kind of tried to do a thing with Chip Kelly. And it's been fine, you know, like, and so I I kind of feel like they might just sort of be like, this isn't for us. I I think that now the the one thing that I'll say is like UCLA is a very major university, obviously. So so maybe, maybe just from that perspective, they decided to, but I think that they're comfortable with their place relative to USC. The one that I'd be curious about, and actually, again, this is, this is one that's tough is that I feel like. I feel like the the boards of these universities need to get together and decide which Arizona school they're sending up as tributes. But but why but why can't they just like we did with Indiana and Purdue get together and say can we just chill together and be realistic about this and try to play Virginia Tech and Boston College in the tier 2 national semifinals and both make it there? Why why it, is football there's a lot of good players in Arizona. Ohio State's living on Arizona quarterbacks right now. But they they can't do it. There's not one single part of what Arizona and Arizona have state had that have what they've actually done on the field in the modern era. There is not one part of that that would imply at all that they should do this. 
So the idea where you we've we've had a battle over North Carolina and Illinois. You got to have at least one team from that state. You and I have both made that point. But at some point, can't you decide as a state to relax and just try this now? And then if it's good, make the jump. But you got to pay players, man. Is it worth Arizona and Arizona State paying players right now? They're they're the definition of slightly below average. I think that there's such an opportunity that, and again, part of it is because of the way that the universities have structured. They're part of the same system. So there's like this real push within the state legislature for them to be like equals. But I mean, Arizona should be the basketball school and Arizona State should be the football school. And it should just be as public as that. Like it should be a decision. But it hasn't happened. This is probably wish casting. So based on uh, winning percentage this century among all 130 teams, Arizona is 96th. Arizona State is 48th. So neither, neither. Now that includes, that includes, you know, some not some group of five teams who are beating up the teams on their level and have a better record. Doesn't mean necessarily you're the 96th best program, but you're the 96th best record. I mean, Arizona has been a mess. I think we can say that Arizona state is significantly better than Arizona there. So I would rather the presidents get together and say, at least at the start of this, let's sit this out and see how it goes and maybe get our ducks in a row because you can have some flexibility here on how you do this, whether it works or not, you can apply to move up, get your, in-house NIL collective together, get ready to pay players and move up in two years. You can decide we're announcing in two years, we're moving down, whatever. There's no set number. So just because somebody goes up doesn't mean somebody has to come down. Is are you willing to pay to play by the big guy rules, which means money? Are you willing to spend the money and then live by these separate set of rules that come with the money, money you're willing to spend I'll live it up to you. If you, I see. It seems like clearly we think it's Arizona State. If it's one of those two, if you want to put Arizona State in, I'm okay with it. Let's pass for right now. If let's look at the number that we have at the end and see. But I I think that you're right. I think that for me, it's just if I became president of Arizona State, I'd be like, "What are we doing here? Why are we not the football school in a state that is poised to become?" one of the biggest beneficiaries of football talent in the entire country due to the exodus from California. All right. SEC. How many teams of the 14 <laughs> in the SEC do you think are above the Iowa state line? And again, the Iowa state line, Iowa state's 35th yeah. in football spending. 12. <laughs> 10. Okay. I was almost surprised it wasn't more. Yeah. Georgia is, uh, Georgia's two. Bama's five, Auburn's nine, LSU's 11, Florida's 12, Tennessee 14, Texas A&M 17, Arkansas 20, South Carolina 21. So nine of the top 21 spending on football programs based on 2019 data. Data came out like in 2020. It's based off the 2019 football season. Nine of the top 21. And then Ole Miss squeaks in at 34, just ahead of Iowa State. I had nine. I did not put in Old Miss. Now, again, we're going to have another conversation of should one Mississippi State is 12th in the SEC. Old Miss is 10th in the SEC. I would like Mississippi State and Old Miss to get together and say, why are we doing this? Why are we banging our heads? We're going to play Georgia and Alabama and LSU and Florida in the regular season as the SEC remains what it is. We are not going to try to compete for national championships against those schools. We're going to try to beat Virginia Tech and Boston College and UCLA and Arizona State 
We're going to play those teams for national championships. We're okay with it. So then the teams that would not be in, Old Miss and Mississippi State, Kentucky and Missouri, and of course Vanderbilt's not going to do it. The top nine, Georgia, Bama, Auburn, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Arkansas, South Carolina. Is there any discussion there about any of them, or are those nine in no doubt about it? No doubt. So what do you think then? So then I think, is there a Kentucky discussion? Do no, you think? No, okay. No. Is there a Missouri discussion? This is another one where I think it depends on when we have this conversation. If we have this conversation today, I don't think that there's anything close to a Missouri discussion. If we had this conversation in 2013, I think that they're in. But they haven't been that program consistently enough. And so I, I just I, I don't think there's a Kentucky discussion to be ha- I'm sorry, a Missouri discussion to be had right now. And honestly, on football spending, again, by the data that we're using here, 59th, they're way wow. down wow. 35 million. The only schools they're ahead of Vanderbilt, Rutgers, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, West Virginia. Like it's just like it's all these like sort of private schools that we know aren't going to do it. So like Missouri is really in a weird spot. They probably shouldn't have gone. They probably shouldn't have gone to the SEC. Missouri should probably either be in the big 12 or the big 10, but they stretched and just being the worst team in the best thing, right? I watch these housing makeover shows. They say have the nicest house. No, what is it? Take the worst house. No, they do the Missouri idea. Take the worst house in the best neighborhood and fix it up. And Missouri was like, Oh, we could be the worst house in the best neighborhood. And then, but then they couldn't get the property brothers or chip and Joanne to come over and do anything. They're on the list to be on the show, and the Property Brothers are like, no, we got this other stuff. We're, we're busy. So if the Property Brothers want to get to, to Columbia, Missouri, and do a fix-up of a college, oh, oh, you live near Waco, right? I went down there. I saw the Chip and Joanna stuff. I went in their little house. I bought some souvenirs. I'm not as into them. I, they, I ran their course with Chip and Joanna. You're not a Chip and Joanna guy? <laughs> I, you know, I remember when they, because uh, I was still in college when their show debuted, so I was still in Waco, and, uh, you know, the... It was cool for a while, and now I want to talk about anything else. So I think you and I, you can be Chip. I'll be Joanna. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I am the Joanna personality, though, of this show. I feel like I'm the one like <laughs> the responsible this- adult. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the spark plug just like doing stuff. I'm like the dumb guy <laughs> with the sledgehammer. Yeah, that's me. So I think we should do this for college football programs. We'll come in. <laughs> And fix up college football <laughs> fixer upper with Shahan and Doug. Arizona State, you're on the list. <laughs> Arizona State, we're going to Missouri. We're going like you just said. If I was the president of Missouri, it's like we're on college football fixer yeah, upper. Yeah. You are the president of Missouri. I'll make a call after the show. I, I will say, I will say, the funny thing about this, right? We're talking about programs that should make this jump. Um, I, I won't have my South Carolina discourse because obviously they're going to spend like it, even though they have zero chance they're going to be the worst team in the league, but that's beside the point. Other than Illinois, the Mississippi schools are a stone cold lock to try to do it because they both, because they will not want anybody to think that they're worse than everybody else, even though they're clearly worse than everybody else. But but we don't have to put them on our list because okay. maybe doing, we can talk about but, it. But if this if this happens, if this sort of world happens and teams have a choice, one million percent chance the Mississippi schools 
figure out a way to try to pay players. 100 1 million percent. All right, well, let's put them on then. I mean, like, it's it's what we think. It's our list, and then we are... I mean, are... you remember you Freeze? They, they know how to... I know. They, they know how know. to keep players, man. We can't. So it'll be, like you said, somebody's got to be the worst team. So then that's 11 from the SEC if we put them in. Against, against even the advice that we would give them, we'll let them in. So let's have a quick discussion about the teams that are not currently in, in a Power 5 conference. This is... Is it... Mostly a conversation about the four teams joining the Big 12. Is there anybody else we need to think about? And you know this much better than I. I mean, there's is Cincinnati a definite, do you think? I think they probably are. I think they are because of where they are right now. And it's sort of what I said about Baylor and TCU. They have started to understand what football can do for them. And so I think that as long as they feel comfortable that Luke Fickle is going to be the guy leading them there, I think that they're a definite yes. And I think there's room for a second Ohio team in this. Yeah, team. yeah, yeah. I think yep. so. I think so. Um, they can take all the Illinois players because they'll actually have a good football team. But uh, <laughs> so Houston, Stone Cold Lock, Stone Cold Lock. They are obsessed with themselves, uh, not in a bad way, but they're obsessed with themselves. They have a very big ego. And Tillman Fertitta is, will spend all the money that has ever existed in the world to try to make it happen. And UCF, I think, is a definite yes. Um, I think that their brand has risen a whole lot. Uh, there's a lot of interest. They are the biggest public school institution in the country. And I think that they feel like they have next in a lot of ways. BYU is interesting. I I feel like they could, but I feel like they probably won't i think byu if they stay in tier two could potentially be the best team in tier two which is a pretty good place to be and i think that they're with the way that they exist right now they're obviously going to move to the big 12 and i think that they felt like okay well we have an opportunity so we might as well take it i think that I think that they're comfortable with the way that they exist right now, right? Where like they played some Pac-12 teams last year and went undefeated against them and finished 10 and 2 and top 15 in the country. Like I think that they are very satisfied with seasons like that. And so I think that that's kind of the equivalent of being in, in that sort of second tier. I, I think that being really, really good, people talking about you, being considered, a, you know, because I, I would be curious too, you know, when we do sort of have this double tier system, do we still have like a consensus ranking? If you are BYU and you win it all, do you still compete for top 15? I think that that's, I think that's important. We have conferences as they exist. We have schedules basically as they exist. We have the top 25 as they exist. And when we get to the playoff, we have two separate playoffs. And though, as a result, the teams that have two separate playoffs, they have slightly different rules for managing the financial aspects. There are not a lot of rules. Again, like in the end, actually, you probably can't have different numbers of coaches, but it's mostly mostly pay players directly or not and then break that that's how you break off into two different playoffs and i think the rest of the regular season can pretty much stay the same what do you think our numbers i just added up the teams that we put in where do you think we are i i did i did count already uh so we're at 36 from the Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma State. From the ACC, we'll throw Notre Dame in there, plus Clemson, Miami, Florida State, and NC State. The Big 10, 
Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan State, and Illinois. The Pac-12, Washington, Oregon, Utah, and USC. The SEC, Georgia, Bama, Auburn, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Auburn, South Carolina, Old Miss, and Mississippi State. And then Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida. That's 36. Probably Virginia Tech's the best team that we didn't put in, the, maybe the most likely program. Clearly, we have some difference of opinion on Illinois, maybe on the Mississippi State and Old Miss kind of thing, but I understand it. I think we're right in the right range, though. I don't think you'd get to 40, and I think you'd definitely be over 30. That anybody who did something like this, I think there's like a 30 that it's like, don't even think about it. It's these 30, and it's, oh, there's definitely not 40. And then there's like 10 teams in between, and we wound up picking six of them. I feel pretty good about this tier. Shahan, what do you think? I think so. And it, I think the thing that I like about it is it does feel like we got to 36 and kind of pared it down like that with schools that would want to make that decision. Uh, you know, there are individual schools maybe that that would clamor for it. Again, I'd be curious with West Virginia. West Virginia is probably the most interesting sort of case because they have the fan interest. They have the, you know, all that sort of stuff. But if they're not going to spend, right? I mean, if they're, again, I'm sure that 65th was an outlier for whatever reason. And and one thing to mention, too, when we sort of compare these numbers is that they can be reported differently. Like different schools uh, put this, these numbers together differently. So if you're sort of in the 30s range, that's about the same to me. But, uh, I mean, 65th is still not great. So, I mean, if West Virginia sort of gets into that top half, that's an interesting one. But I, I think that the other thing, too, is the schools that didn't make this list for the most part have something else that they care about that they'd maybe be able to prioritize a little differently. Like we talk. And I, and I do think if it's either that or do you have a cohort of teams around you that you can lean into? Because I do think, OK, so we don't put Virginia Tech in. West Virginia's not in. Pitt's not in. Maryland's not in. Rutgers isn't in. Boston College isn't. You can, Syracuse isn't in. I mean, that's a great group, to be honest. What if you lean into that group? And Virginia Tech's like, well, listen, hey, we're trying to beat Pitt. And you can have great games, great rivalries, great recruiting competition. You can have it still really matter. Because Pitt, West Virginia, Virginia Tech football, that's not falling down to the level of FCS. That's not North Dakota State versus Youngstown State. That's not that. That's much better than that. For sure, nobody doubts that. But to be honest, Virginia Tech, West Virginia Pitt is also not LSU, Alabama, Georgia. And it's not Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. And it's not USC and Texas and Oklahoma. So, like, that's okay. It's already not that. So Virginia Tech and West Virginia and Pitt, go make the playoff in Tier 2 and kick butt. And don't pay players directly, but still get a lot of good players. Because, by the way, the big schools that can pay players directly, they're not giving a million dollars to all 85 guys on scholarship. No, no. So there are still guys who are going to be like, well, I guess I could get this kind of pittance as the guy who's the 33rd best player on the Ohio State roster, or I can go be Virginia Tech's best player. And still have some great opportunities and maybe get a car. Because I do think the one thing about the NIL in our world, you can still do a commercial for a car dealership. It's an in-house collective basically paying people to come to the school. But once you're there, if you're good and you want to sell hot dogs for the local diner, 
great. You're allowed to do that at any school, not just the top tier. And probably my biggest frustration with the way that things have gone isn't that collectives exist or that they aren't funneling money. I don't care about that. As long as the players get the money, I don't really care all that much about that. It's the fact that with NIL coming along, that we have seen such little opportunity for actual brand building from college players. Like, we don't see Bryce Young in commercials. How is that possible? We, you know, I mean, we saw DJ in a, in the Dr. Pepper commercial at one point. I thought that would be pretty ubiquitous in college football, to be honest, uh, this past year. But there's still been such a, an attempt to, I don't want to say silence players from a brand perspective, but like kind of, you know, we haven't seen this explosion of Instagram. How did he not move right into the Heisman house? Right. Right. He should be there. Right. I mean, we, there should already be a commercial on there. He played in the national title game after winning the Heisman Trophy. How is there not an ad campaign built around Bryce Young? Right. Like that hasn't happened, but we're paying recruits has happened. Stupid college football. <laughs> and, you know, Jordan Addison is the best receiver in the country, according to Blitnikoff. Right. And all we know him as is the guy who's getting poached by usc and not somebody who could be in a lot of commercials or do something cool with brands or i mean jack smith and jigba is going to be one of the best players in college football this next year why have we not seen him in commercials right it's just it is so frustrating as somebody who loves college football loves college football players and also obviously consumes a lot of content to live in a very college football centric market like dallas and not even know about these players and it feels like look you're going to trade off being able to pay players bryce young is going to sign a two-year 10 million dollar contract with alabama and they might even have some restrictions on how he's able to to build his brand and stuff like that that's something that i think that some schools are going to do but if you do play at west virginia and you're uh, you know somebody leading the way to that championship game and you got long hair and a mustache if you're will greer right if you're will greer and you you uh play at west virginia and you lead the, the team to that sort of national championship game then like you should be on tiktok you should be in ads you should like that's that's cool and i think that that's something uh and it's something that even in our current state i hope that we see a little more going forward is you know, if you are a mid-tier school, I think that you can set yourself apart by giving your players cool opportunities to be themselves and legitimately build up their brand and following in an organic way. And that's something that we're not seeing right now at the place that you really feel like it should be happening. All right, to wrap up again, if you guys want to write this down so you can disagree with us about this team or that team, send us a tweet at CFB Survivor Show and tell us uh, you guys should not have this team in your top tier and you should have had added this team. Give us your top tiers at CFB Survivor Show. Write this down. These are the teams that got in our top 36. From the current Big 12, Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma State. From the current ACC, Notre Dame, plus Clemson, Miami, Florida State, and North Carolina State. From the current Pac-12, Washington, Oregon, Utah, USC. From the Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa. Michigan State, Illinois. From the SEC, it's 11. Georgia, Alabama, Auburn. LSU, Florida, Tennessee. Texas A&M. 
Arkansas, South Carolina, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, and then Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida. That is our 36-team top tier. Let us know what you think about our ideas for NIL, our ideas for dealing with the transfer issue, our ideas, mostly my idea, Shahan will come around, about maintaining the conferences as is and having tiers within that. We can get better. So we are not against players making money, and we are not against players having freedom over their own lives and careers. But as we started with, rules help because every decision that you make affects somebody else. I guess if it's just a donor giving you money, that actually doesn't really affect anybody. The transfer stuff, we just, but we need to get a hold on this because in the end, I just don't hear enough people talk about competitive balance. And there's no sport, there's no organized sport where you having ultimate complete freedom over what you want to do is the best thing for the sport as a whole. Now, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your money and your career and your opportunities and your playing time, but I think we can find an agreement. So if you're the let everybody do whatever they want, if you're a got to adjust, just get to the side and let guys like us figure it out. We appreciate you making the College Football Survivor Show part of your week. We have some more cool stuff ahead this summer. I'm really excited about it. Shahan, there's a part of me that's almost like, oh, the season's going to start and get in the way of our cool ideas. But I really like this. I thought we did good rules and some good other stuff. We appreciate you guys listening. For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.